Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I sat down with Neil Royal from Kaspersky and we discussed automated vehicles and the future of this space, with security being at the forefront of the conversation. Neil and I spoke about what our industry is doing to tackle securing automated vehicles. Neil touches on where we need uplift in this space, as well as what we are likely to see in the future. If you're keen to learn more about automated vehicles, then this episode is for you, so please keep on listening. Okay, so Neil, welcome. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. I know you are incredibly uh, busy. So I'm really keen to dive on into our conversation around automated vehicles. But before we do that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So can you please walk our listeners through where you started to what you're doing now? Yeah, good morning, KB. And listen, thanks for having me today. really appreciate it. Um, yeah, look, uh, I, I'm a cybersecurity consultant with Kaspersky, and I've got over 20 years uh, worth of experience delivering delivering large, complex technology programs. You know, in industries like the industrial sector, airports, one of my huge passions, aviation, and the buildings technology sectors uh, across a number of countries, so Australia, uh, New Zealand, the UK, Europe, uh, as well as uh, the Middle East. Um, look, I'm really passionate about the uh, the innovation and, and digital transformation that has helped uh, my customers across the globe. And that's really about driving results-orientated transformation, right? They're not just willy-nilly projects. Um, I'm also uh, what we call a global industrial cybersecurity uh, professional certified, GICSP. And I'm really focused on helping businesses within the industrial sector across Australia and New Zealand really Uh, help to improve their overall cyber posture. I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but also things like to embrace Industry 4 and IoT. Um, My previous role, uh, I was with Honeywell. Look, I grew up as an automation engineer, just for a little bit of info, Mm -hmm. uh, but really ran the uh, OT, which stands for Operational Technology or Industrial Control System, if if you were, um, cyber function for Honeywell. And that was really working with industrials, uh, you know, such as oil and gas utilities across Australia and New Zealand to, uh, you know, sort their cybersecurity posture out. So help many customers uh, across ANZ doing that. Um, and that's really, I think, with all that experience over the last 20 years, has really helped me gain some really great experience and insights for cyber, both, uh, you know, in, in IT Uh, as well as OT, but also IOT, which is this new emerging sort of technology that we see today. Mm. So you said you've you've obviously got quite an extensive um, amount of years of experience. What do you sort of think are the biggest sort of transformations that you've sort of seen in the last two decades? Um, I I think uh, a lot of the transformation that I've seen and been involved with is being around business operations Mm -hmm. and the uh, the automation and the digitization of business processes. So, for instance, airports. If you look at uh, mm. many airports today, they're using biometrics. They are using, uh, you know, a variety of biometrics to be able to get a passenger from uh, the land side of an airport through security to, you know, the departure lounges where they can spend money. And they're trying to do that in the most fast and efficient way possible. 
So for me, it's really about the, the business transformation through technology alignment. Automation, it's always a word I feel, depending on who you're talking to, people find that a little concerning. But I'd love to sort of dive on into the automated vehicle side of things. Sure. Now, I've read various views around completely uh, autonomous vehicles and then, you know, semi-automated vehicles like the ones you see in mines and stuff like that. But when do you believe that this will happen? Like, what's sort of your take on this? Well, I think first and foremost, there are autonomous vehicles already in operation today. Um, but I, I think just looking at it, you know, more broadly, I think in terms of what we'd like to see. So if you if you consider Australia's Department of Infrastructure and Transport uh, has pretty much said that over the you know the next 20 years, which I think is fairly obvious, right? But mm. uh, vehicles will become increasingly automated, and I think 20 years from now none of us will be driving and it will be driven from a safety factor, right? Nobody will be able to speed. You won't be able to dangerously overtake, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's where autonomous vehicles will take us. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at even even as late as August last year, you had the University of Queensland's, um, uh, you know, Queensland University of Technology, sorry. Um, you know, their research is embarking on a massive automated uh, vehicle study for Australia. So, uh, and then if you look at the efforts from companies like Tesla, from Google, driving their o- automated vehicles, I think it's really just a matter of time uh, before we see a driverless society take place. Um, and if you look at inv- you know other technology av- advancements, which I think are all part of it, such as battery, you know, battery technology is absolutely critical to autonomous cars that can drive for many hours without needing a recharge. So uh, I-, I think... You know, we're still in the emerging stages, but there are vehicles around the world. If you look at some of the mining companies globally Mm. and here in Australia, they're already using autonomous vehicles. So it is out there, but they, you know, they don't have to consider busy highways and thousands Mm. of roads every day. I read this book recently, like a few weeks ago, and it was talking about Australia specifically around uh, artificial intelligence and automation. And they sort of said... I mean, high level, finger in the wind, they said 2075 before things are quite automated. But I think one of the concerns that it really came down to was an ethical responsibility. So if there, if there were to be an accident and you had to unfortunately hit one person or the other, like how would they sort of navigate doing that? And I think that was probably one of the points of resistance that really came up in terms of like yes. the values over morals and how would you say we will be navigating that sort of path forward because what you and I may value could be fundamentally different to perhaps the next person sitting beside us. So how how is that going to, how's it going to look then long-term and will that become quite um, a point of frustration for people because it's going to come down to a values, um, a a values consideration? Well, I think if you look, security is always going to be a concern. If you look what's just happening in here in Australia with ransomware, it, it's a huge concern. But I think, look, if you if you look at the automotive industry today, okay, they need to rethink cybersecurity. Um, you know, if, if you think about car regulation uh, has really mainly focused around the physical aspects of drivers and passengers, right? Seat belts, effectiveness of airbags, crush zones, that sort of thing. And then, of course, you know, physical security like immobilizers and alarms. Now these guys are really going to have to think about cyber. Okay, mm. um, and you know there is there is some cyber regulation and this upcoming cyber regulation that 
you know, we'll really set out that these guys need to consider the security needs of a vehicle um, from, from, you know, the, the, the foundations of design. Um, now, you know, regulation will advocate for security by design. Absolutely, mm -hmm. for sure. You know, vehicle manufacturers will, uh, uh, you know, there'll be standards that they will need to absolutely abide by. There are, there are already, but, uh, you know, I'm sure those will uh, evolve. But these are things that they will have to consider and implement from outset, not, not as afterthoughts, right? Um, and if you think about how connected we're all getting, right, it's, it's a digital world out there and it will continue to grow. You know, these car manufacturers need to be more accountable and responsible, just like businesses need to start being more accountable and responsible for cyber. Mm. So, you know, we, we need to work with them and help them uh, to keep them, you know, responsible and, and accountable in, in, in implementing, you know, what we call secure by design. And, you know, it's, it's all about not just an end device, but it's about the vehicle ecosystem. If you think about connected cars today, it's not just the car you need to consider, it's how that mm -hmm. car connects to the internet. What are the backend systems that vehicle manufacturers are using to say, uh, update your software when, whenever they need to. Mm. So, um, uh, it, you know, that secure by design concept, uh, um, you know, needs to cover all those elements, not, not just the software on board the car. Um, and then, you know, if you think about vulnerabilities in the software and hardware world, these are just facts of life. They will happen. Mm. And so how do you communicate with your your customers, your end users of vehicles, not just cars, right? These are going to be trucks. They're going to be, you know, trains already we see or autonomous trains. But how do you communicate with users if there's a software bug and they need to update their software? How does that all happen? So there's, you know, there's a really end-to-end process here that vehicle manufacturers need to consider. How do you think that should be communicated? I think vehicle vehicle manufacturers, uh, as well as their service providers, need to be transparent. They need to be ethical. And, uh, you know, they need to be proactive in their communication approaches. So, for instance, uh, you know, if, you know, a, a issue is found in a software system on board a vehicle, you know, you need to get a notification. Just like today, you know, the cybersecurity operations center of a big company, uh, you know, they will have a critical alert, will tell them something's wrong and it needs to be updated or there's a critical patch required. The same needs to happen with the motor vehicle industry, right? Your users need to be notified and then you need to work with your users on how that gets implemented. You know, you wouldn't want to, you know, think about you driving 100 k's an hour down the road. Would you want to do a critical update while the user's in the car? I don't think so. So it's it's no. <laughs> no, it's about being pragmatic. Like, oops, sorry, blue screen at death at 100 k's an hour. So no, uh, all those things have to be uh, factored in and designed from the outset. And uh, you know, do we have all the answers today? No, um, but it's certainly an end-to-end -end thought process that needs to happen. And users must critically be informed all the way. When you mentioned before that you, uh, in terms of how would you communicate it and you said being ethical, would you say people out there are not being ethical at the moment and how they are communicating to their customers? Uh, look, I think um, I think there is, uh, if, if you look at both ends of the stick, yes, there are being, there are companies out there. Look, you just have to see the, the news on uh, how many companies in Europe, for instance, have been fined mm. for 
uh, not patching critical uh, vulnerabilities in their environments. And they've known about it. They just haven't wanted to spend the money. Mm. And then they've gone and lost hundreds of thousands of, you know, their data has been breached and they've lost hundreds of thousands of user account details. Um, so is that unethical? No, I think it's just, uh, it's an understanding of the business risk. And I think that's critical that cyber is always aligned to the business risk. If your business risk means that people can get seriously injured or, or even die in a motor vehicle accident, then that mm -hmm. needs to be a top priority, right? So speaking of security, now in terms of diving into this a little more because we are talking about automated vehicles, what are some of your immediate concerns when you're sort of saying that we'll, we'll get to a stage in this lifetime where uh, automated vehicles will become quite ubiquitous? Like, what are your sort of concerns um, as we're ushering into this sort of new new way of operating? You know, again, it's, it's just that uh, um, the physical aspects of security, which we see today, like your seatbelts, like your alarm systems, immobilizers and so on, um, you know, they're absolutely ingrained into vehicle manufacturers' design. Cybersecurity will have to become the same. Yeah. And so if you don't if you don't embed those secure by design principles as part of your foundation design elements, then I think we're in for a big problem. You know, if you look at just an example, you know, before vehicle manufacturers were producing alarms, you know, the OEM alarm systems, you had to run off, you know, 20 years ago, you had to go and buy an alarm system from a third-party company. And, yep. you know, the majority of the time that worked out okay. But sometimes, you know, I had a particular vehicle um, where I had an aftermarket alarm fitted and it was a nightmare. I eventually had to have it pulled out. Um, in fact, driving a motorcycle uh, one time in the UK, I had my alarm system fail on my motorbike, which cut the engine at 70 miles an hour in the fast lane of the M25. So those are some of the things that, you know, if, if, if they're not implemented with the overall end-to-end -end design thoughts in mind, then then we're looking for problems. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's absolutely critical that things, you know, life safety critical systems just need to work. That's it, you know. And if they fail, there should be a backup system that kicks in automatically. So it's really that secure by design principle that, that vehicle manufacturers must consider. Um, and I think are, in, in general, I think they absolutely are. But uh, you know, we have seen instances uh, over the last year, few years where, you know, they, we've seen vulnerabilities uncovered in vehicle manufacturer software. That's just a fact. I, I did want to touch on that a little bit more only because, um, you know, you are saying earlier, like people can't even get basic patch management right. So if we're, if we're introducing something that is quite uh, still very new, uh, I just, I'm just sort of concerned around people's sort of approach to it. So perhaps in theory, uh, what you're saying is absolutely the way we need to to go about uh, looking at security. But it's always about, you know, if you read something in a book or there's a theory on it, people aren't necessarily as good at executing or implementing those theories. Usability of security is a huge factor. All right. So if you think about in mm. today's world, if you add so many layers of security to a user, like, for instance, if you wanted to log into you know, one of your big e-commerce sites, I won't mention names, but we, you know, there's some very big ones out there. If they made it so difficult for you to actually get in, but they, you know, they just wanted to be 100% certain it was you, you'd get very frustrated, right? And so you, need, you need solutions that are usable, 
that the user is happy with. Um, but ultimately, you are delivering the security that's required. So it's very much a, a usability factor as well as a security factor. So do you think, just touching on the usability side of things, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I mean, it's all, it's all well and good to tell people to do things, but again, people, if they become frustrated, that's how things like shadow OT and all that stuff start to occur. But in terms of the manufacturing side of it, because they, you're trying to walk this line between security and you're trying to walk the line between like functionality and of using something, how would you sort of approach sort of that, that there being an equilibrium between those two things? Because like you said, you don't want something to be so secure where people end up not using it, but you can't have something that's so not secure where you have problems then down the line. And I think that's a, a continuous problem that we that we see in the industry. And I don't know if people have tackled that correctly. And I'm always curious about what people's thoughts are around that. Well, I, I've, I think I've seen probably both sides of the coin and every everything in between on how businesses have implemented the usability of security. Mm-hmm. If you look at the you know, if you look at the industrial, the operational world at the moment with industrials, um, there's not a huge amount of cybersecurity going on. You know, traditionally, these guys design plants to work for 15, 20 years, and so they just want stuff to work. Now you start to implement additional layers of security, uh, it it becomes a huge sense of frustration to plant operators. So, for instance, you know, in the past, and still some operators today, We'll use a single admin password that everybody uses to make changes on the system. Mm-hmm. Well, we know today that just can't be the case anymore, right? Um, and so now everybody has their own username and password. And so when you have a shift change, you have to log in and log out. Um, and that 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 you know is a massive sense of frustration. And you can also lose visibility, even if it's only ten seconds. Mm. So it becomes a business process issue as much as an operational issue. Um, and and you need to you know you need to factor that in. Um, you can't you can't um, compromise your business operation uh, if security is going to get in the way. You know your business operation has to come first, and then uh, you know you absolutely have to layer in the security. Um, when it's life safety critical, you need to make sure that you're delivering what's needed from a security perspective but not getting in the way of that business operation per se. Mm. So speaking of like life safety critical, I formerly worked in a bank and every month I'd have to report on how much the bank lost money due to some security problem, whether it was cyber espionage or whatever it may be. And yes, it was a problem and it it cost the bank quite a lot of money every month, but no one died. So I can't say the same, though, when it comes to security, like for automated vehicles, as you and I have sort of been talking about earlier in this interview. So if something does go wrong and people's lives potentially could be lost, do you believe that we're weighting these are the same or different in terms of the ramification if something were to go wrong? Well, I think this is a bit of a complex answer, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, <laughs> let's deal with this in two parts. So firstly, okay. let's talk about the regulation uh, on technology neutral to the road rules concerning people's lives. And then I think we need to look at uh, the ramifications and the real motives behind uh, a cyber criminal or a cyber attack. So um, so let's talk about safety regulation. Uh, so regulation and safety to begin with. I think uh, if you look at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration in the US, for instance, um, 
you know, they've pointed out that regulatory efforts in this area must promote safety. So removing, you know, any existing uh, and unnecessary barriers, of course, remaining technology neutral, but enabling a pathway for innovation. And that's really critical, right? You've got to enable that pathway for innovation that helps to potentially save lives. Now, if you look at here in Australia, um, back end of last year, uh, the National Transport Commission um, announced that, uh, you know, developing technology neutral road rules for driver distraction, okay, for instance, uh, and, and they've consulted with, you know, the public, academia, industry and government stakeholders in identifying key issues around uh, developing regulatory options which would provide clarity to road users about unsafe drive uh, driver behavior with technology. And, you know, look at the amount of technology that's in a car today, right? Um, it's not just about a mobile phone. Um, so, you know, now that we've established, it, it's a human problem, right? If you if you add so much technology that a driver interacts with, it's a mm -hmm. human problem, right? And you can't have those sorts of problems while you're doing 80 kilometers an hour down a road. It's just not, it's just not practical. So then you need to look at the ramifications and the real motives behind cyber criminals. So, um, you know, obviously with particular, you know, around automotive vehicles. So fundamentally, you know, we'll see um, that they fall into a number of categories. Um, financial gain, I think, is probably the most prominent. We certainly see that here in Australia today with ransomware. Mm -hmm. But then you get disruption um, by, uh, you know, hacktivists. You're going to get espionage. Um, you know, nation-state-sponsored stuff for sure. Mm. Um, although, you know, one even may consider that's a bit far-fetched now. But then you're going to get the guys who just do it for fun, <laughs> believe it or not. You know, mm -hmm. they, there's they, there's a number of these out there already. So, you know, if we're looking at a driverless society, um, and, you know, there are a few examples of how we can be attacked by a cyber criminal. Um, you know, just something as silly as, Hacking your car and driving out your driveway, disabling the car for disruption, um, parking it somewhere else, or, you know, who knows what the motive will be, right? Um, so, you know, if you think about something as as easy as, you know, you're driving to your destination, um, you get to a traffic light, your doors lock, your engine turns off, you can't get out your car. Mm. And you get a message on your text phone saying you better pay me $100 in Bitcoin or or hand over your credit card details. Um, you know, that's really about financial gain. And and I think those are the probably two we're going to see the most. Um, right. But obviously, you know, the motive of a cyber criminal is, is probably going to be different to what regulators implement, right? I think that's... That's one of the key issues. And for regulators, safety standards are, are different between normal cars and autonomous cars because they have to be, right? Um, so regulations for autonomous cars, you know, need to provide safety at least equal to, if not greater than the current standards. And, and depending on taking up, you know, the rate of take up of autonomous cars, um, you know, I, I think that will drive, um, you know, the importance of further stringent regulation and i think we're going to be in a steep learning curve i don't think you know this is not going to be static regulation mm. for sure so uh, you know just considering and i think it's really important that while we imagine a driverless society in the future the real question we need to keep on uh today moving forwards 
is are humans better than autonomous vehicles, right? I mean, a human can react, you can be proactive. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we can get more cyber aware and this helps us transition safer uh, and, and better to a driverless society. Um, you know, awareness is really key, but the usability is also key, without a doubt. One of the things I'm just thinking about as you're speaking, and I'm just thinking how to structure this, is if you look at what's happening today in terms of uh, because humans are in control of the vehicle, so a lot of people may drink drive and then there's an accident and someone dies. Do you think because of driverless vehicles, ultimately that will decrease because they're driverless, but then would you say that potentially the hacking around driverless vehicles may be greater than potentially the mortality rate around people um dying because there was a road accident or drink driving or something like that like do you like i mean just what's your thoughts on it just thinking just spitballing purely oh just spitballing <laughs> um look being absolutely 100 percent pragmatic on this my my own opinion um kb is is we see many road accidents globally today many many road accidents because of driver error yeah. Um, you know, Australia is probably one of the safest countries to drive in globally. And boy, I've driven around some countries where it's it's an experience, let me tell you. Um, yes. Uh, you know, it's I, I think if you if you consider, you know, what are the risks of going to autonomous vehicles and you are so reliant on the sensors, the reliability of sensors, to be able to safely control and maneuver that vehicle in heavy traffic, heavy traffic, high speed traffic, and so on. And if you look at what technology is doing for society today, my view is it will make our journeys safer. Mm. And there is the potential that it can reduce road road accidents. Yep, yep, yep. Or potentially, in years to come, even eliminate road accidents. So why wouldn't we want to embrace those technologies? But they have to be secure. They have to be immune to being hacked. And cyber immunity is is uh, a really good subject. You, you know, you may even want to do a separate podcast on cyber immunity one day. But you know, building that secure by design in so that you can't hack a system is going to be really key for the future for the autonomous vehicle sector. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And, and that's sort of one of the things I wanted to explore with you is because I, I totally hear what you're saying. Like we're trying to reduce deaths on the road because a human is being silly and hasn't, you know, should have taken an Uber home versus driving home, for example. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear it every day that people are dying. So it's about reducing the deaths of that. But then when you're trying to move into more of an automated vehicle perspective, you're opening up potentially another can of worms. But I, yeah, I just wanted to see, like, do you yeah. think that that'll reduce though over time? And you think that it will? Um, and it's interesting because, you know, you're talking about driverless cars. It's like, well, no one's going to have to go for their driver's license test like, anymore. <laughs> I mean, and I've always historically had manual cars. And I know a lot of people in Sydney, because I'm originally from like a country town, people yeah. don't even have a manual license. So even that surprises me because they're so used to driving automatic vehicles. And so now we're even going to the next stage after that where you won't even bother doing that. Well, I, I certainly think, look, I think we're, we're probably a couple of years away from that scenario. We may even be a decade away from that scenario, but there will be a slow move. Uh, I, I think as we, um, we see shifts in 
you know, I mentioned battery technology earlier. I think if we see shifts in battery technology, if we see, uh, you know, particularly here in Australia, a major shift to providing uh, electrical infrastructure for motor vehicles, and that's going to be a challenge in itself. Mm. Um, you know, unless you get those things right, you can't really grow. Um, you can't really grow the uh, autonomous vehicle sector. Um, you know, and it's not all just about batteries and electrics. I think many autonomous vehicles can be petrol driven. You know, that's mm -hmm. not an issue. But I think um, uh, it's it's about the the you know the want and the desire uh, to move to those. But in you know having you know we mentioned allowing the innovation to happen around that. So it drives, for instance, you know, the innovation and the technology that enables driverless cars. Just look at what Google are doing today. It's incredible. So, um, yep, I think we're a decade away, but you will see a, a shift. You know, I think in the next five years, we will see legal autonomous cars on the road being used every day, for sure, within five years. That's my view. I'm just thinking from a productivity point of view, like I could just drive around Sydney pick up someone for a meeting, do a meeting, and then dro drop them off and then go to my next meeting. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you think about, you know, just something as simple as your car drops you off in front of your office and it parks itself in the parking garage. Um, oh or, you know, it drops you off that? at a busy meeting in the middle of Sydney and then it drives off and finds a parking bay. Now, you know, you're going to need there'll need to be infrastructure that enables that, right? You, you couldn't use a standard car park that we all use today. But, you know, if you had automated car parks that can accommodate those sorts of autonomous vehicles, wow, what, what, a, what an innovation, right? So just talking just quickly on the manufacturing side of things, I was talking to a CIO overseas uh, maybe a year or so ago, and they're actually producing a lot of the software to be licensed. But how he was sort of describing it is companies like Mercedes-Benz, BMW, et cetera, will buy the licensing from these guys. So they're going to have to get to a stage where Mercedes and friends will will have automated vehicles, but they'll just buy licenses. So they, you know, their old school um, human driver vehicles will then just become obsolete. So do you still think that that's the, the case? Are you, are you, I mean, this was a year ago I had this conversation, but would you say that Mercedes and BMW are trying to usher towards, well, you know, we need to change our whole model because we need to be able to look at how we're going to automate our vehicles so we still have a relevant brand in the market in the next 10 years. You know what, that's that's actually a tricky question, KB, and, and I'll tell you why. Vehicle manufacturers today really focus on the enjoyment of driving. You look, right. at, the, you look at the 4x4 sector, for instance, you know, the mm. youth sector, uh, it's about getting off-road, having fun. Um, uh, you know, if you look at BMW and Mercedes, you know, the way they sell their cars, it's about the driving experience. Yeah, you're right. We're removing that if we go into autonomous vehicles, right? Are you are you going to have an autonomous AMG Mercedes, for instance? I don't know. Uh, and, and you're completely removing that driver experience. So uh, the people who love driving will want to keep driving. If you look at, say, the millennials and the Gen Ys and so on, you like, you know, my daughter's going to university this year and the public transport situation is not great. So she she will need to drive. Mm. Uh, and, you know, parking is going to be a problem at, at her university um, and it's fairly expensive. I think the, the, the question of, 
you know, the younger generations perhaps, or people who've never really driven before or can't mm. get a license. My mum, for instance, has never, ever had a license. And I guess, you know, I think it was uh, there was an article early last year published here in Australia. I think only one in three uh, teenagers now are actually getting a car license. So that scenario right, right, right. opens it's up. decreasing already. Yeah, it's decreasing already. Um, and, and that's largely, you know, Australia has a really good, public transport system but it's the hassle of owning a car mm. uh, the roads are really busy and congested so automated cars will open up a market where people just don't want to have a license or don't want to drive mm. but do you think we'll get to a stage where i mean let's talk beyond a decade where you have that like, you can't drive a an AMG Mercedes around that's a, a human driver car. You can't do, like, do you reckon we'll get to the stage that you don't see anyone going around with a horse and cart nowadays. So do you think we'll get to the stage where it's sort of uncool to drive a car then? <laughs> or like, it's just not going to be a thing that you see. And if you do see it, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's not common anymore. Well, in my opinion, I, I certainly think there will be a move, albeit a slow move, towards auto autonomous vehicles now and in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think over the years you will see, you will see a massive uptake. And who knows? Governments around the world may go. You know what? We're going to mandate that you can only own an on an, an, you know, an autonomous car, mm -hmm. and therefore remove the whole user driver thing. You may see that. Uh, who knows? Yeah, who knows? That's what I was just sort of talking around the, you know, the longevity of these brands. Like, I mean, if it's mandated, then they've got no choice. They're backs against the wall, really. Yeah. Uh, but the last question I'd like to sort of uh, ask you today, Neil, is because we've been speaking so much about the future, and I'm assuming that you've got a pretty good handle on what you think may happen, but if you were to sort of travel into the future and look back on security today from an automated vehicle perspective – what would sort of be the impetus to improve security as it currently stands? And do you think we're actually doing enough? Mm. Um, are we doing enough? No. And I'll tell you why. So if you look over the last couple of years, you've had some major issues uncovered with, for instance, Chrysler with the uh, Grand Cherokee, where uh, one was able to hack it on the move and did so. Uh, you had an organization uh, demonstrate to BMW that their cars had loads of vulnerabilities that can, you know, could have been used and, and showed them that they, you know, were used to exploit the BMW systems, regardless of what happens in the future. If you look at what's happening today, you look at what's happening today in the IT world, mm. cybersecurity needs to be a foundation element. Okay, and not just from a life safety critical aspect, also data. If you think about data accounts have already been exposed on Mercedes, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, they, you know, there were uh, examples where you could extract uh, information from their infotainment systems via Wi-Fi. I think for me, it's about how vehicle manufacturers address cybersecurity as a foundation. All right, and and going back to basics. You know, making sure that users, with the technology you see in cars today and the connection of accounts, you know, making sure we have strong passwords. Mm. Um, and then we talked about managing vulnerabilities. There are vulnerabilities in cars today that need to be patched. 
You know, I, I have a Toyota and I started the engine the other day. It said I have to connect the Toyota app to upload a critical update. I was driving while that update was happening, which unnerved me, funny enough. But yeah, um, you know, that's how Toyota managed it. So I think, you know, it's it's very much about going back to basics with, for cybersecurity and making sure those are considered. Absolutely for sure. Because we have seen vehicles get hacked. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. You talk about foundation element. And I mean, you and I both know that, but a lot of other people, I mean, if you're talking uh, people that are, you know, engineers that are developing stuff, they don't really think about security. And probably a lot of that stems from comp side degree. They don't really teach security. I mean, that's changing now, but historically it didn't. How do we get to a stage where it's like security is a foundation element and it should be incumbent in every single thing that we do. It's not. But how are we going to retrofit the problem that exists today or people not even thinking about this at all? I think it comes down to, and that's a really good question, and I, I think, not I think, um, I'll give you an example uh, of, you know, our Cybersecurity uh, Act for Critical Infrastructure that was published in 2018. It's virtually silent on cybersecurity. And so, you know, it's then beholden on each individual organization to implement a cyber policy to address, you know, their industrial cyber uh, um, needs. But I've spoken to many industrials that just simply go, well, you know, Australia's not really on the geopolitical map. Well, we are now. I think the last 18 months certainly has demonstrated that. So we don't really need to do anything. So using that as an example, unless you you legislate security standards in the vehicle sector when it comes to cybersecurity, it's going to get overlooked. Mm. Vehicle manufacturers will not spend the money Correct. to make it as rigorous as it needs to be because it's an additional cost they just don't want. Absolutely. And then who, they'd either have to A, absorb the cost or B, pass it on to their customers, but then as a result of doing that, probably would deter people because the price is jacked up. Correct. 100% correct. And it's no different today we see in industry. No different today at all. But then the, the, the problem then becomes, and I was speaking to someone yesterday about when you're looking at regulated industries, it's kind of like, well, are people just doing security for the compliance side of things, but they're not really doing security? And there's always that balance around, well, how do you, how do you look at that? And depending on who you talk to, so if you're in the healthcare space or the financial services area, you're obviously heavily regulated, so people are forced to. But the industries that are not regulated, then that's a really slippery slope. Yep. Absolutely correct. Um, and look, from what I currently see, compliance is the main driver, particularly if it's a public company. Um, but I think there's a little bit of an awakening. I certainly have seen in, in the past 12 months a little bit of an awakening by industry in, in, in Australia to say, hey, you know what, maybe compliance is actually not enough. We, we need to drive deeper to make our business systems safer and secure. And I think you'll see, I think that will become a driver now and in the future. Uh, I think the uh, prevailing uh, economic challenges, obviously with COVID, have put the brakes on that a little. Um, but I think as we recover, you'll certainly see expenditure moving to more, uh, a more, you know, a more mature uh, cyber strategy rather than just a compliance cyber strategy. Mm hmm 
Well, Neil, I absolutely have appreciated your time. I've really enjoyed the chat too, and I think it's an area that I haven't personally explored a lot of on the podcast in particular. It's an area that I have been looking at myself uh, because I find it just fascinating. Again, I'm a person of productivity, so for me, a driverless car excites me because I'll get a lot more done. So if people have a question that perhaps I didn't ask you today, how can they go about reaching out to you? Um, I think just contact you know, me at my email address, which is uh, neil.royal.kaspersky.com. Um, that's probably the easiest way to contact me. And if you want to know more about what Kaspersky does, just go to www.kaspersky.com. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for um, taking the time to, to chat with me today. My absolute pleasure, KB. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to KB Cast, the cybersecurity podcast for executives. We always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time.